Podcast with Tech and Prem. Fed Alumni Podcast. I'm Tech. He's Prem. Music producers talking Philly sports. Another loss, Prem. Another loss. Another loss, but I'll tell you what, Tech. You're playing a Super Bowl contender at home. Yeah. And it's a five-point deficit with 12 minutes to go in the game. If you would have told me before the game, hey, the birds are going to be in this, and they're never going to stop Pat Mahomes once. Well, they did stop him once. Got a turnover. (laughs) The only turnover of the game, I might add. Right. No punts. No punts is impressive. Now, obviously, you look for silver lining. It's a young team. They're one and three. They are what they are. The record one and three. They are what they are, but they're playing. They've played some really, really elite offenses the last couple weeks. I mean, Dallas is an elite team, clearly. Yeah. And Kansas City is an elite AFC team, which carries more weight. I get it. You know. But my takeaway from all this, one thing is clear. Yeah. One thing, Brent. Andy Reid will never lose to this organization. I can't really dispute that. Unbelievable. He's phenomenal, man. Well, he's Big Red. First coach in NFL history with 100 victories with two different franchises. You gotta love that. That is just crazy. And then his post-game was just good times. He's, yours. he's just amazing. It's just, it's just fantastic. There's a lot to unpack with the birds. And believe me, we'll tackle it all on Wednesday afternoon quarterback. But first... Early this time. I like it. Brought to you by ProLine Music. Everything for the musician. It's time for Vet Fact. This is a Vet Fact. Well, Tech, believe it or not, the Eagles never played a game at the Vet on October 6th. That's unreal. Not even a loss. Unreal. I checked every single season individually, and they've only played October 6th on the road. Wow. So, I had to dive into potential Phillies playoff games yeah. at the Vet October 6th. And you know what we did find? Game 1, 1993, ah, against yeah. the Braves in the NLCS, October 6th, 1993. It was an 8-10 start, a night game. 62,012 fans packed the Vet Ugh. to watch the Phils walk off in the bottom of the 10th Woo! by a score of 4-3. to Kim Batiste with the game-winning double. The late, great Kim Batiste. R.I.P., man. Driving in the Crocker. Crocker! For the W. Mitch Williams gets <laughs> the W. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, even though Kurt Schilling is a little off his rocker, the man went for 10 Ks, over eight innings pitched, only allowing two runs with two walks. <laughs> he was just man. dominant that year. He was dominant. You yeah. know, the whole lineup pitched in. That's Left. my favorite Phillies team. Me too, man. Dykstra had a hit. Mariano Duncan got on base. Dave Hollins had a hit. Dalton went 0 for 3, but Pete Incavilla went 2 for 4. Ah, West, Cham- West Chamberlain 2 for 3. It was a true, <laughs> a true team effort by that team of misfits that came oh so close to forcing Game 7 in that World Series. Yeah. We all know what we feel when we watch that Game 6 highlight in Toronto. Joe Carter, it is oh, it's the most depressing moment in Philadelphia sports history, in at least in my lifetime, in our lifetime. It has to be. It has to be. A walk-off loss to lose the World Series. Oh. I mean, you know, you lost the 05 Super Bowl to the Patriots. Yeah. By three points. That was close, but it yeah. was different because that was a 10-point game late they were trailing. Right. But, yeah, so October 6, 1993, Phillies walk off over the Braves 4-3, to setting it up for a Game 6 win to clinch the National League pennant. <laughs> That's your vet fact. There it is. Uh, the Sixers, okay? They started their preseason Monday night, and boy, they looked bad, okay? Listen, we all know... About the Ben Simmons saga by now. It's, be- it's Miss Bena Simmons now, by the way. Oh, oh is that it? Now? I, I decided, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, there it is. Uh, I got to tell you, Prem. This team is delusional. If they think they're still contenders without Ben Simmons or a suitable Ben Simmons replacement. It all hinges on one man overperforming, and his name is Tyrese Maxey. If he overperforms this year, then you will be the four seed. I I love Maxi, right? But there's a huge drop off from what they were with Ben to what they appear to be now. And look, Ben is a bitch ass dude, and and he may not shoot, right? Yeah. We know that. Yeah. But he does everything else at an all star level. He He's does six. He does. He's phenomenal defensively. Uh, rebounds, passing game is up there with the best of them. He's six ten, so you instantly get smaller. 
You know what right. I mean? This is true. You get smaller a little faster, though. I mean, Maxi's a little quicker. Yeah, but you can't just plug and play without adequately replacing No, he's a defensive, defensive player of the year candidate, uh, perennial all-star. As much as we're mad at Ben for basically being a child right now, yeah. you, know, you can't deny what he does on the floor to open things up. Now, yeah. I, I will say Maxi's ability to shoot the ball will force defense defenders to step up to that three-point line way more than they had to with Ben. I agree with which that. Which is going to open that post up for, for Joel. But you're losing size, you know, you're you're losing, you're just losing defensive presence yeah, on yeah, the it's, court. I know, I know. You have, you have multiple teams now that are clearly ahead of the Sixers. I mean, regardless, it's kind of a moot point because Brooklyn's representing the East in the finals. Right. Barring a lot of injuries, but even if they are injured and don't get the one seed, if those guys are healthy... But come playoff time and they got the four or the five because they were missing some of it, it doesn't matter. No. They're they're going to the finals. I mean, I'm gonna venture to say that Brooklyn's gonna hoist a trophy this year. You know, they blew their window. You know, they they blew the window and they are certainly not a contender anymore, at least at the same yeah. level they were. And I put the blame squarely on Daryl Moore. I knew you were going there. He overplayed his hand. And he botched this entire situation. Yeah, now there's a scenario where if you're a GM of a team that the Sixers are, quote, trying to trade Ben to, yeah, you know, as that opposing GM, that the Sixers have zero leverage in the trade because right. we have to get rid of him. No choice. It's not a situation where, oh, you know what? We're only going to move this guy if the deal is commensurate value-wise. Yeah. It's it's a situation where he can never step foot on the Wells Fargo floor in a Sixers uniform again. No, he can never enter the center the, again. <laughs> the fans will <laughs> the fans will it will be absolute pandemonium and mayhem when they're down say 10 late and Ben has the ball and he passes up an easy pass or, or even better, yeah. he misses a couple free throws. Oh. Can you imagine? That's why He's not going to be here. That's why he's refusing to play. He can't take he can't. the fans. He, he can't is, take it here. He's not built anymore. for this city. No. He's built for a city that is like basketball and sports in general is like secondary. Yeah. Because he's not built for LA either in that case. No, what I do don't think, think so. It's very, it's very similar. LA, well, Chicago, maybe New York. Maybe the Clippers. Maybe. I, they're, I, they're the redheaded stepchild of true. Los Angeles. True. And and finally, for the first time in a long time, as almost as competitive as the Lakers are. Um, yeah. You know, almost. Yeah. Um, almost. But yeah, Ben, it's, wow, what a tragedy when you look at the whole story of Ben Simmons. It really is. And now, everyone was talking about Damian Lillard. Now, we're going to have to come to a... A reality. Here. You want McCollum, right? You think that's reasonable well, now? Now I didn't. Right. I did not want CJ McCollum. You said Buddy Heald. Now I would take CJ McCollum and, and and some draft picks. I would take Buddy Heald and some draft picks. I would take D'Angelo Russell and some draft picks. I might even consider taking John Wall and some picks. And guess what? John Wall's hurt every year. He's washed. He yeah. never plays. Out of those players, I, I would say in this system. After what I've seen in his career from D'Angelo Russell in the right scenario with a guy like Joel Embiid, I think D'Angelo Russell would be a very nice addition to this team with what they have. You know, I'd take him. I brought it up before. Remember I brought it up on this show. I forget who we had on that I, I posed the question to yeah. and they were like, well, no, I wouldn't take that deal. It's yeah. like, well, now would you? You have no I, choice. You have no choice. Because what, what are you going to do? You're just going to uh, take the L and this guy sits all year? And no. The, see, here's the thing about if they're finding him and he's losing his money. That money is not going to make a difference to the Sixers or Ben Simmons. No. It doesn't matter. No. This guy's a multimillionaire for years to come regardless. All he has to do, you, you put, I don't know if regular citizens realize, you, you put $10 million in a high yield bank account. Yeah. It's making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for you. Absolutely. So him losing potentially thirty million for the year to us, that's like, yo, wow. How could someone survive losing that? Right. Ben Simmons, it doesn't matter. But here's the deal: this sentiment of like, I've heard it on the radio. I've heard fans say, "Let him rot. Don't pay him. Let him rot. Let him sit for four years. Don't trade him." Well, that does nothing but hurt the team. Exactly. Because you haven't replaced him, and now your team went from the number one to you say four. I think possibly five, six. Even seven. How, how funny would it be if they designated him to the G League? 
<laughs> yeah, well, he wouldn't show up there either. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> but fitting, but fitting. Just as like a chess move, like a uh, FU chess move. This saga is going to continue to play out. We'll see what happens. Uh, we'll go around the bases one last time for 2021, the season finale, with the one and only Matt Breen from the Philadelphia Inquirer. He'll join us. That's coming up later. Yeah, you know, we're closing the book on the 2021 Phils. Uh, yep. A book that if you put a title on the front of it would be we can't pitch, and we know it. <laughs> right, exactly. Because the offense, quite frankly, the offense, when you look at it, even though they weren't jumping off the page, they should have been. A, they should have done enough with their offensive output yeah. to win that division because you blew 30 saves. And you only, Unbelievable. You only missed out on the division when, it, when you had a chance to win it. You're only like four games back. So, you know, at that point, you had a chance to win the division by five-plus games with just a competent bullpen. Not even a yes. good bullpen. Just a competent average to slightly below average bullpen and you are playing the brewers in the first round of the playoffs no argument there you're right about that it's crazy man you're right about that plus the return of doom and gloom it's back it's back and suitably so yeah but coming up it's wednesday afternoon quarterback next pro line music pro line music Located at 490 Lincoln Highway in Fairless Hills, PA. Pro-Line Music. Everything for the musician. Carrying all major brands. You find a better price, we'll beat it. Offering lessons in person or virtual. On-site repair service center. Rentals. Recording studio. Pro-Line Music. Call 215-736-8055. One more time. 215-736-8055. Yes, sir. Everything for the musician. Vet alumni. It's my quarterback. Hurts. Back. Hurts. Fires. Hurts. Completes it. Touchdown. Touchdown. What a nice play. We lost. We lost the game. We gotta do. We gotta do more. We gotta do better. Um, and this is what I'm saying. We got every opportunity to learn, right? And we're clearly not there as a football team, but. With this close. It's Wednesday afternoon quarterback. Well, Nick Sirianni loses another one. Uh, and, and, you know, listen, I've heard everybody say, oh, it's early. Let's give him time. I don't think this guy's an NFL head coach. I wouldn't go that far. Um, I, I know I understand why you might feel that way because if the red zone play calling is just kind of efficient on Sunday, they win that game. It's crazy to say it. But if it, it was efficient red zone play calling, they would have maybe won that game. It would have been a one-score game very late. His red zone play calling is... The trend is atrocious. It, it's trending, yeah. you know, consistently to be this. It's only Every four games. Week. That's four games, and guys going to get better. You know, they're, they're going to get better because they're going to evaluate what they're doing wrong in the red zone. Right. And it's only four games of football. So, you know, I understand why you're frustrated. I, I know that it's a a doom and gloom in the moment mentality with you tech i know i'm not i'm not going in the moment when i say it i, I just this is just a feeling that yeah. i'm getting when i'm seeing him even when you know a blatant uh, penalty by jj ortega whiteside i get it you didn't think it was that blatant well it was uh, they're going to throw that flag on what is considered a rub route um but there's two things that jumped out to me on that it's within 5 yards number 1 yeah. So I don't know how that impacts that from the offensive side. I know defenders can engage as much as they want within five yards. Um, so you could make the case that that defender was engaging Ortega Whiteside within a five-yard marker. That was from the three, I think. That right. Um, and, and when you look at the replay, there was a lot of space between Hertz and Whiteside. I'm sorry, between Hertz and Whiteside. Yeah, um, but you know, bottom line, you, you can't do it. You no, can't, you can't do it. Can't. He did it. He was engaged. The arms were extended, and that's why the flag was thrown. If the arms were down and he was just running, yeah. they wouldn't have thrown the right. flag. Right. So, you know, that's a mental error. And then, you know, Sirianni goes nuts on yeah. the side. He carries on for what has been described as being about 45 seconds that yeah. we really didn't see right. on television. I like the passion, though. You know, that, that, that was it. the second touchdown it, taken it, off the board. It, it came off corny. To me, I yeah. mean, he is is increasingly corny to me. Okay, okay, and it started with the whole snarling thing. Yeah, and it is just uh, continuing. And I don't know how much more. 
I can really take. Well, I, listen, it's a two-year plan. We talked about this I in the offseason. It's a two-year plan, and right now— He's got all the makings of a one-and-done guy right now, though. I, I don't think so. I think right. they, they have to give him two years because— Yeah, he'll get two years. Think about Andy Reid's first year. I mean, they, oh. they were horrendous. Yeah, they were horrendous. You know, I know you had a young Donovan McNabb, and you had Doug, Dougie P as the quarterback, but um, <laughs> <laughs> ironically, yeah, ironically, but in this situation, you know, Jalen Hurts is is not really the problem. He's a young quarterback. He's continuing to get better in the system. He accounted for over 400 yards. He has a passer rating over 100, and he's top 10 in passing yards. Now, look, I, I said, I went in the moment last week, and I said- he did. Jalen Hurts is not the guy. Now I'm going to to modify that. I'm I'm going to good word. I'm going to modify. You should. You give him more time. I'm not going to backpedal from it. I'm going to say, I'm still not sold that he is the franchise guy moving forward for years to come. But I will say that he gave you one extreme, which was the worst performance as a pro last week, and then he comes back this week with the best performance right. as a pro. Against the Super Bowl contender. I commend and that. didn't punt once. Oh, well, this is a bad Chiefs defense. Right, but still, it's still a team that is going to be playing late into January. I get it. Period. And it's an offensive league. So, but the defense, you're never, I don't care if Drew Brees is your quarterback, if Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback. When you have a defense like the Eagles are trotting out in the field right now, getting gashed up the middle all day, which opens up that play action, me or you, could, could complete passes on this defense, it seems like, right now. Right. So, compound that with a young quarterback and a new play caller trailing a lot because the defense is so poor. Well, that's it's what not I'm a getting recipe at. for winning. Jalen Hurts is not the problem, okay? He's not. I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that. Tech. He isn't the problem. He's uh, not. Right now, today, on this show, this week, he is not the problem. No, the scheming, the scheming in the red zone and the defense are the problems. The worst defense I think I've ever seen. No, they were pretty poor a couple years ago when they were four and twelve. Really? Because Jonathan Gannon, he, he's making Jim Schwartz, you know, look like Jim Johnson. He's yeah, he's a new he's a new defensive coordinator. I I don't really. Now I don't he doesn't know. have he doesn't have the guys. He doesn't have good enough players. I mean, the secondary has actually not really been the main issue. The secondary has been the least of their problems. It's been right. It's the, the line. Yes. and and the linebackers. I mean, Fletcher Cox, talk about a step back. Oh. I would I would make a case for. And this is going to come off to rough to some fans, but I would make a case for packaging Ertz and Cox to a contender at the deadline and getting even more draft capital because then you just give Goddard those Ertz routes. Yeah, because Cox is cooked, and uh, you know he's he's you have you have to trade you have to trade him while he still has some value, and that'll free up a lot of cap space, and it might really hurt the heart of the Eagles locker room. But in a transition year like this. The heart is going to be repaired, per se. I hear you. You know what I mean? Like, you have to... I, I'm sure Howie is thinking about this. He has to be. You can get a lot of money off your books, and you can send him to a good team, like a really good team, like like a Buffalo or or uh, or Baltimore, hmm. a team like that. And you're going to get a high second-round pickback for Fletch. And if you package him with Ertz, you might even get a young player and a second-round back as well. So, I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's some things there they could look at doing, but you have to remember, too, Tech, the middle of this schedule gets nice and light. You get the Giants, the Jets, a bye, and I think uh, Washington off of the bye or something like that. And then the end of the schedule is even nicer. But I'll tell you, Washington with Taylor Heineke, I said it weeks ago when we were in the studio at Barchard and Quinn, that kid's an NFL quarterback. By the time we get there, though, they'll be one in six. Maybe. I think two and five is. I think they're going to beat Carolina. I think Carolina is a good team, and I think mm. Sam Darnold has been overachieving a bit. But I think they're going to beat Carolina. I think that Jalen Hurts is going to go out there and 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 ball out against the Panthers. I think Fletcher Cox is cooked. And speaking of cooked players, Ryan Kerrigan uh, is completely washed um, and really should be cut. We were on with Chips and Dish last night or two nights ago. Um, great show from All About the Birds yeah. at AAT Birds on Twitter. And he said the same thing. He said, mine and your stat line is the same as uh, Ryan Curry. Right. Uh, uh, all these snaps he's got, and he's got no stat line. It's just remarkable. I mean, not even one tackle. No, think. he's completely washed. Yeah. It was a waste of a pickup, and, and he should be cut. It was I mean, in the really same. I, I see what Howie was trying to do. He was trying to go in the same same thought process as Chris Long. 
that right. signing. You yeah. know, I, spot rusher. I, I get it. Yeah, I get He's it. He's trying too. to recreate. Didn't and that work. doesn't work Didn't in football. Work. No. Uh, they have no linebackers to speak of. All are inadequate. Yeah, Davion Taylor, he's been hurt, so I want to see him. We haven't really seen him at all. I I think we'll see him this week. And and I want to see more Patrick Johnson because he's a rookie. You don't really know. With Patrick Johnson and Davion Taylor, the, the jury's out. You don't really know yet with those guys. Right. But with Singleton, TJ Edwards, I'm really disappointed because TJ Edwards, I thought, had the potential to be a Pro Bowl caliber linebacker. Yeah. I mean, he, he flashed a lot. He and did. He's just not. They're not. The problem is positioning. These guys, the, the football IQ... I don't really feel like it's where it needs to be with just knowing where to be. When you're a linebacker, that's the most crucial part uh, of the defense when playing against play-action pass. Right. And all these teams crush us with play-action. Absolutely crush, crush us. Because the linebackers don't really know where to be. And then it affects the secondary. And Eric Wilson is atrocious. I mean, uh, that was a nice interception on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, the only it, time, it fell in his lap. The only time that either of those offenses didn't score was the Eric Wilson interception. Or, why, or rather, before the but, half, we didn't score. But two. why is he one-on-one with Tyreek Hill in the red zone? Because the scheme was wrong. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, the scheme was wrong. I mean, and then Jonathan know. Gannon comes out yesterday and says, we don't have a dime package. We, that's, we don't have that. Yeah, why would you disclose that? I'm sure why they would have, you say I'm it? I'm sure they have a quarter package, though, and the quarter is very similar to the dime. I get when it. When it comes but, to the, the, the formations and the, and the uh, subs. Something we didn't get into last week because it, it was just overly talked about, but we have to discuss it this week, is the penalties on both sides of the ball. Record pace. Unbelievable. Record. I didn't really want to bring it up last week because it's like, all right, listen, it's a young team. There's not really much discipline yet. But then we see again, in, uh, I mean, costly penalties that really kill situations. 21 points taken off the board. Unreal. In a game you lost by 12. And not only that, it's about the timeliness of those touchdowns. If you, when it's 28 23 and Pat Mahomes gets the ball back, realistically, that score very easily could have been 31 28 birds at that point. Right. Very easily. And then yeah. you're at home and the crowd's crazy because you're up three. And maybe they still go down and punch it and go up 35 31. But you know what? You have a chance at home with six minutes left at that point to get a game winning score or, yeah. or leave Mahomes two minutes on the clock. I mean, that's the situation we would have been watching. If A, the red zone play calling was efficient, and B, the penalties, the knucklehead, uh, unforced error penalties weren't committed. Just, I mean, it's pathetic. Yeah, they're they're young and they have a lot of growing to do. I mean, it's a two-year plan to me, so I'm not jumping off a bridge this year per se. The fan base is impatient. A lot of the fan base, unfortunately, Tech, doesn't really have a big picture ability. I know. You know? I hear you. And it's a two-year plan. You got a lot of draft stock. You have a young quarterback on the rise. You need to stack that defense with high draft capital. And you obviously need to get your offensive line back. All right. But, you know, when it's all said and done, I, I you know, the offensive line with Jack Driscoll, Landon Dickerson, and Nate Herbig, you know, they really did a good job. I was I was impressed. I mean, to, like they I said, they didn't do bad. To move the ball like they did. And I, I will say this about Sirianni. His game plan out the gate with the Chiefs was correct. They were moving the ball consistently. Yeah. And well, for uh, some reason, the Chiefs weren't stopping it. I know their defense isn't great. No, not but, a great defense. But you sh- they should have known what Sirianni was going to do. Quick hitters, confidence-building throws, get your speed guys in space. That's, yeah. our, that's our offense. Now, and, you're, and you're taking shots occasionally. Still no running the ball. So at, we saw this game from the Henry James Saloon in Roxborough. Our new home with Bell and the Bird. Join us weekly, guys. Yeah. We're there every Birds game, spinning records, giving our Eagles takes with Barchard and Quinn of Last Out Media. Speaking of Barchard and Quinn, the yes. Bell and the Bird men post-game show. Our homies. So, uh, John and Vince, they brought up Miles Sanders. They did. And the conversation sounded like this. Miles Sanders is a problem. You've, and, and, and it's been with two coaches, two different sets of offensive linemen. I, I think that's a major issue in the running game, and that's what's missing. Miles Sanders, because I see what you're saying. I don't think he's a problem. He's not the solution that people problem. thought he was going to be, and including myself. I've seen the big playability over the years. I've believed in that, and I've wanted to see him get the ball more. But there's enough times where he's not willing to be aggressive, just go and take it down the field and go at people and get those tough yards, two, three, four yards, and rather he bounces it outside and he just kind of wastes the play. So right now you don't have an answer with the running game, and you are just making the best of it. Well, oh, I mean, 
I know you sternly disagree with this. I disagreed with him on their post game show. I know you did. Um, and here I'll, I'll say this: Miles Sanders, I will agree, he is not an elite NFL running back yet. However, he's not really getting opportunities to get going. Running backs need opportunity to actually get going. Just because you don't get much on your first, second, or third carry doesn't yeah. mean you're not going to pop one later. And we've seen Miles Sanders is a big play machine when he gets fed the ball. But for some reason, and maybe it's Kenny Gainwell too being in the mix, and he's phenomenal. But yes. for some reason, Miles Sanders has not been given even 10 carries in a game this year. I'm going to go in the moment here because okay. Okay. I, I just feel like I have to. Here yeah, we go. Yeah. In the moment. Miles Sanders may not be the problem, but he is a problem. And let me tell you why. Because the kind of running back that you need, he is not. North-South. He's not that guy. And when North and South lanes on multiple occasions this past game were there, the lane, this, you know, patchwork offensive line created lanes and he ducked and dodged and weaved out for one or two yards. So when you do that, you're setting us back. You know who used to do that a lot, ironically? LaShawn McCoy. Yeah. The all-time Eagles leading rush. I'm not I comparing I'm not comparing Miles to, to and Shady. Look, McCoy got more more chances. He did. I mean, he would at least get fed the ball a lot, and they would hit him on the screens, which are like runs. Um, you know, Miles, I, I believe in Miles Sanders. I think that he is a quality NFL running back when afforded the opportunity to actually run the ball consistently. And we see here's the thing too, when you're not leading in these games, which besides week one we weren't really leading, you're not gonna run the ball much because the game script goes to passing. It just does because you're trailing. I know, I get that, right? But you still have to eat clock though to keep good offenses off the field. You're only gonna beat a Pat Mahomes or a Dak Prescott or an Aaron Rodgers if you're chewing up seven, eight minute drives. I think he abandons the run. He does. Because he sees Miles Sanders on the attempts that he does get not come up with the yardage he should be getting. He should be coming up with some better runs. He's not, you know, like Vince said, he's not fighting for those those tough yards that are there to be gotten. Instead, he's bouncing to the outside and only getting one or two yards, which blows up the play and kills drives. Yeah, but you know that since the beginning of his rookie year, Tech... For with running backs with a minimum of 200 attempts, he's top five in yards per carry. I know. I mean, the guy. I is, get the numbers. This is, is one very... of those instances where I know the numbers say otherwise. Yards per carry are there, man. But I'm seeing with my own eyes that even with a patchwork O line, lanes are there, and he's not taking them. He's opting to just blow the play up and only settle for a yard or two. This is where I wish we still had Deuce coaching the running backs. Right. Uh, I'm going to say something else. He's doing extension. I would not extend him. And that's why at the trade deadline, he is the guy I'm shopping. And and because I got news for you. I can't extend him knowing that he's not the back I need when Gainwell is similar to his style. And quite frankly, he does more. He's younger. He's better. He's cheaper. And you still have Boston Scott, too. I mean, if, if the deal was right, if the deal was right and you're going to get some draft capital or like other young players back at positions of need, right. then you can roll with Gainwell and Boston Scott. Boston Scott is very underrated, and he's he's a north-south guy when yeah. it's there. When it's there, Boston Scott's going, and yeah. he squats 895,000 pounds. Look at that dude's legs. So I hear you. I mean, I'm open to moving guys like Fletch, Ertz, and Miles if the deal is right because as a legitimate GM, you have to be open to it. And that's why Sanders really isn't getting the carries, too. you got to figure— Sirianni, he's not his kind of back. And, you know, I see, hey, look, Vince Quinn is lobbying, even in his Twitter handle, to get Marlon Mack. Because Marlon Mack is probably more of the style of back that Sirianni needs to to compliment a Kenny Gainwell or Boston Scott. I like Mack, but he's an injury guy, man. Well, then activate Jordan Howard. Where is Jordan Howard in all this? Yeah, I don't What's know. He on the, he's buried on the practice squad. He's better than that. He's sitting home eating buffalo. He's wings. the kind of back you need for those tough runs up the middle to get that five, six, yeah. seven yards to get that first or, down. Or better yet, you're first and goal from the three, and you're throwing swing passes? Run it behind your center. Yeah. 
Absolutely. On first and goal from the three, why are you dropping back? Run the ball. No you're going to at least get a yard and a half, and then you might be able to just sneak it in. Like, go old school football when you're inside the five, because right now, the fancy crap is not working. It's just in the red not zone. working. So, here's what I'll say. As far as Sirianni's red zone play calling, it's going to get better, man. They have this on tape. They know what they're doing wrong, and Jalen's going to get better, too, with decision-making and clinching those drives with six and not settling for three, and that will be the difference, and it turns the tide for this offense to punch it in more. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than seeing these short yardage situations or goal line situations, red zone situations, and Hertz isn't coming out of the shotgun. Now, they moved it with ease in between the 20s, man. In between the 20s. Exactly. They look like a great offense. They do. But then the stalling when you get to the place where every other team punches it in, even late in the game, right? Comparing just Sanders and Gainwell. When they gave Gainwell the ball and he ran it in, Sanders yeah. hasn't been doing yeah, that. Gamewell, he hits it with a head of steam and just runs straight. Yes. And that's what you need in those situations. You do. He sniffs the goal line. You know, you want you want running backs to sniff the goal line when you're inside a 10. I would be, listen, I would settle for seeing Jordan Howard, Kenny Gainwell. And Boston Scott. And Boston Scott. I would too. If the package is right. Now, I'm not I'm not saying get rid of Miles Sanders because I'm not on that train. I'm, I know. I'm still in the I'm still in the Miles could still be a guy train. I just wouldn't extend him. He's doing extension. I wouldn't do it. I just would now that I got Gainwell and I see what Miles' shortcomings are, I wouldn't do it. It's fair. I mean a team like uh a team like say trying to think of a team that could use a running back like that a lot of teams yeah a lot of teams could use a scat back like miles kind of he's not really a scat back though because he has run hard with vision i mean he's busted some big ones to the house and he's always in that next gen conversation which i'll get to in numbers don't lie this week ah fantastic. miles as always man he's on that list so you know i get that the guy is a, he's a playmaker when given opportunities all right it's just disappointment around it's here okay listen let's look ahead to carolina Carolina started strong, 3-0, go to Dallas and get right out the building. They're down 33-14. The final score doesn't really indicate how not close that game was. Um, I think that the Eagles can go into Carolina and do enough versus Sam Darnold. After seeing Dak Prescott and Pat Mahomes, it's a nice downgrade to have to play Sam Darnold, even though he's having a good year. I think that they can go in there and move the ball well. The Panthers' defense is, is good. It's not great. It's good. They got torched by Dallas. Um, that is Dallas, though. But I like the Eagles to go into Carolina and win a tight, lower-scoring game, something like along the lines of 24-20, uh, <laughs> 27-23, something in that range. I, I believe the birds are going to steal one because they have to because they're going to lose to Tampa Bay on Thursday in the following week. Yeah. Oh. That's where I'm going with that. I believe in the birds this week, but after that, it's going to get murky. Um, got I got this games. as a loss. I got Tampa as a loss, and I have the Raiders as a loss. Well, the Raiders are a good football team. They lost to a very good football team on Monday night in uh, the Chargers, which was one of Prem's picks, <laughs> which we'll also get to a little we'll bit later We'll get to on. it. We will. All right. It's time to close the book on this season's Philadelphia Phillies. So. Done. We go around the bases one last time, the season finale, with Matt Breen of the Philadelphia Inquirer, next. Yeah, you know what time it is. We're talking about the fightings here. The fightings! The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball! It's time to go around the bases on the Vet Alumni Podcast. Oh my God! Deep to right field, way up there, and way out Joined now on the Vet Line by Matt Breen, Philly's beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and of course, a Temple graduate. Matt, thanks for joining us to talk Phils. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're closing the book on the 2021 Phillies, an up and down season to say the least, albeit barely their first winning season in a number of years. What were your main takeaways from the year and what are you expecting them to do heading into 2022? Yeah, it's kind of funny because like, it's like, everyone's disappointed, you know, how the way the season ended, but if we went back to April, we would have said they're probably a 500 team. And, you know, what they ended up being, like you said, a game better than 500. Yeah. Yet we, it's, it's disappointing, you know, that you had that disappointing feeling because 
that was almost good enough to make the playoffs. So that that was to me, you know, the, the the most disappointing thing about this team was yes, they were an average team, but they could have made the playoffs with just just a few more wins. And the fact that it was that close when this was, you know, how many times we said this was the toughest division in baseball before the season, it ended up not being so. So right. they, it was a, it's probably a missed opportunity to me to finally get through the playoffs. Yes, it's a winning season, barely a winning season. And now start the offseason. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think this team, if for them to make the playoffs next year, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot of heavy lifting this offseason. Yeah. Um, Dave Dombrowski is his first, his first really, his re- first real off season. I know he was in charge last winter, but he came on during the pandemic in December. Um, you know, kind of late, late in the game to to really put your fingerprints on it. Didn't know not, didn't know a lot about the team. Now I think you're going to see him. He he's taken almost a year to evaluate to see who's who's expendable, who's not, who's part of the future, who's not. I think you're going to see an interesting winner because you can't just spy free agents you know you can't just spend they have a ton of holes they can't just spend money everywhere to fill those holes right he's going to have to be creative make trades and it's going to be it's for me you know they all seem always fun because it's stuff like that it's it's team roster building and roster construction and i think this will keep us busy it'll be something fun to keep our eyes on yeah i like the roster building aspect as well um with that said you mentioned you know making moves do you think aaron nola is a part of the future still I mean, I do, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how Dave Dombrowski feels. And and I say I do because the hardest thing in this game to develop and to produce is starting pitching. True. And Aaron Nola did not, you know, if you look at ERA and, you know, the stats that we, the main, the popular stats, he had a down year. But there's, and, and I hate to say this because I'm not like, I like I think Aaron Nola had a down year. But if you dig into it a little bit, and you want to look for reasons for optimism. So you look at XFIP and Sierra, and you look at his numbers, and they're lined up, and his walk rate and his strikeout rate, and you, and you look where they line up, and yeah. it's like he's right below Zach Wheeler and Max Scherzer. He's you know he's in the top ten for all those numbers, oh, and, and that doesn't mean that he had a good year, but right, it does right. mean that there's reason to think that you know a few things like a lower fly ball rate, um, a lower home run rate, and not even just lower but back to where he's used to pitching fly ball and home run rate then maybe that's what is the missing link for him to to be back to where Aaron Noel was three years ago because everything else number wise you know is where he was in 2018 it's just that ERA went skyrocketed because yeah. his home run rate skyrocketed his fly ball rate skyrocketed so if Aaron Noel gets that under control I think he's a part you know he's he can be a frontline starter again but the reason the most important reason why I think he has to be part of it is because you need starting pitching and it's so hard to get an Aranola, you know, to get an Aranola in your system as a, as a draft pick to um, develop him and then to sign him to the contract that they signed him to, which is a pretty club friendly deal. True. So if you trade him, what are you getting? You know, you look at these trades around baseball, usually it doesn't cost a lot to make a trade. You know, it's not like you're getting somebody else's best prospect. You're getting, probably somebody else's prospect that they've already self-scouted and they're willing to part with to take Aaron Nola. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's, I, I know Aaron Nola had a frustrating year, but I, I would ride out the rest of this contract because if it hits, you know, if Aaron Nola goes back to being Aaron Nola again, he's much better than whatever you're going to get in a trade. Yeah. I like that answer. I don't think tech does as much as I do. Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not a NOLA guy. I'm just not, you know, uh, which, which leads me to this question. You touched on it. You know, we go into this off season with, in my mind, with three real starting pitchers. I get it. You want to include NOLA? Fine. Four. <laughs> but what's the likelihood of Dombrowski being able to sign, you know, a fifth starter, a real closer and a setup man in free agency? I think you need a closer. Um, you, you, I think that comes from external free agent trade that that's acquired. Right. Um, setup man probably is is in the bullpen already. If it's Ugh. you know uh, if it's Alvarado or Coonrod or none Brogdon. of those guys do it for me. I, yeah. I, 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 I like Coonrod though. I I've like Coonrod. seen what they got. They 
I just I don't but know. There's going to be they're they're not going to just sign one. You know, they're going to sign a couple bullpen arms. So maybe one yeah. of those. Like when they signed, I mean, not when they acquired Alvarado and Coonrod last winter, it was like, and Archie Bradley's like, well, you know, somebody's going to be the closer, somebody's going to be the setup man, and and it all kind of took shape, right, as the season went on. I think you'll see that you'll see, uh, you know, another if it's five new bullpen arms by the time they get the Clearwater, mm-hmm. maybe one of them. I think, which they kind of made the mistake of last winter by not going out and getting. A closer, Archie Bradley. You know, obviously, was never the closer. Even when he signed, they said, you know, he's not not the closer. Um, right. I think I think they need to go out and get a guy that, as soon as he signs him, there's no debate. It's like there he is. That that's who's going to pitch the ninth inning for the Phillies. And I would sign not only a fifth starter, I would sign a sixth starter. Absolutely, because this bullpen game thing is a joke. Yeah, you can't when you have a payroll that high and and expectations to make the playoffs. You can't be running out of bullpen game every fifth day, especially oh. like the, I know the Dodgers and the Rays do it and the Giants, but they, they have the arms to do it. That doesn't mean, you know, the Phillies can do it just because the good teams do it. There's a reason they do it. They have success in it. The Phillies weren't ready to do that. They did that because they had no other options and you can't let that happen. But I would definitely acquire two more arms because, I mean, two more starting pitching arms because of, you know, Zach Eflin's not going to be ready for opening day when it's probably optimistic to think he misses less than a month of the season. I would mm-hmm. think. <sighs> yeah. And then, so you need a, you need an arm there, but then you also, you need, and you need someone else to maybe compete with that pitcher in spring training. He bumps the bullpen because you need more than five starters to go through the season. You probably need six, seven, eight. And I think you just, you can't, you can never be too safe and you just have to make sure those options are better than what you got last year. Matt Moore and Chase Anderson. Yeah. Oh, Matt, the young guys, right? The, the, the guys who are supposed to be the future of this team, you know, Kingery, Bohm, Hazley, Moniak, all look like failures right now. I mean, Bryce wants homegrown guys who are dogs. They appear to be years away from being able to give them that. When it comes to this farm system, where does this organization go from here? Yeah, that's the that's the main problem. And that's why, like I said, it's going to take heavy lifting because there isn't there's not these dogs you know waiting in the wings that Bryce Harper's <laughs> right. waiting for yeah and the whole point of this rebuild was you know it was sold to the fans that yes we're going to lose and we're going to have really bad seasons we might lose 100 games in 15 16 17 but we're going to benefit from this because we're going to draft at the top of the draft every year we're going to have more international money than anybody else to spend and we're going to have down payroll. So then once we get all of our prospects that we acquire from these down years, we're going to have tons of money to spend and we're going to, you know, sign the sign Bryce Harper. But when we sign Bryce Harper, we're going to have waves of pitching, like Andy McPhail said, and, and all these prospects ready to join Bryce Harper. And this, the thing is, it didn't work. It, it, the rebuild no. in that part of the rebuild failed that the point of a rebuild is to come out with a really healthy farm system. And they didn't. If you look at, you know, top 10 war for this season, I think every single guy is either um, signed as a free agent or was acquired before the rebuild. Besides Zach Eflin was the one guy who was acquired in a rebuild trade, but he was acquired by Ruben Amaro in, you know, the early stages of the rebuild before Matt Klintek was on board. So none of those top 10 guys came came as a part of a rebuild draft or um, one of Matt Klintek's drafts. They were all acquired by drafted like Hoskins drafted by Amaro before the rebuild started or acquired by Amaro the early mm-hmm. stages of rebuild or signed by Matt Klintak. So that that's the problem. It, it just never it didn't happen. It didn't work. Um those years and, and that's what's gonna has the, the risk and it seems like it is setting this franchise back. Yeah, they're wasting Bryce Harper's prime. They're they're just wasting it. And then on top of it, it appears that we just have to be content watching them celebrate mediocrity. That's what yeah, it looks like to me. Yeah, I don't think like nobody I talked to was is celebrating um 82 good, good, wins. Good. I'm uh, glad yeah, I don't they're not satisfied. Um, I can't you know, tell from John Middleton. Playoffs, yeah, <laughs> John Middleton hasn't spoken in a year, but I'm sure he's pulling his hair out. Um, you he's know, they, they're aware too. Like they're aware of how barren the farm system is, and this is where you hope Preston Mattingly can. You know, maybe he's not going to work magic and and turn this farm system over, but maybe he can put the finishing touches on some guys that are in AAA right now, and, and that can at least be complementary pieces next season maybe you know he can unlock 
he can put the right coaches in place to, to help Alec Boom get unlocked. We uh, saw what Boom did maybe. in 20, saw what he did yeah. in 2021. Yeah, the jury's um, still out on Boom, in my opinion. Yeah. One good year, one Same not so Scott good Kingery. year. Like, like, I'm not... He's under contract, so you, you, he's on the in the on the club. Yeah, and I'm not right. ready to totally give up on the guy. If maybe there's the, the right coach has to be put in place to to get him going, just because you need him. How how important he would be if he was a contributor. How important Adam Hazley would be if he was a contributor. Um, that's that's what they're missing right now. They have the top of the line. The top of the roster is fine. You know, your top five guys are, are star players, but. It's after that is the problem, and you know the probably the best bright spot. Well, obviously Ranger Suarez, but oh yeah, you know he was here long before the rebuild. Um, but how good he was! But from rebuild, the rebuild guys this year would be Matt Vierling, and how yes. good he looked in September. Yep. But he's he's probably a fourth or fifth outfielder next year, and in the, in the best case scenario, because you you would hope that you would acquire someone to play left field and center field, but Veerling at least looks the part. And he was almost like, he wasn't even a guy that was like when they drafted him, that, you know, he was part of the future. He's a fifth round pick. He's just, right. you know, credit to him for, for putting himself on that radar and, and to get into the majors and having an impact and having a role for next year. Yeah. You mentioned uh, young players, like you were speaking of, what do you make of Andrew Painter uh, as far as his, prospect ranking and what they could get from him down the line. Yeah. You, you hope that he's a, um, a future top of the rotation starter. It's just, and, and so far he's looked fine. He's looked good. Um, his, obviously his high school numbers were awesome and his velocity and his height, you know, he has to build to, to pitch in the top of the rotation, but it's, he's so far away, 18 yeah. years old. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, that's the thing. It's like the, best guys in the system are at the bottom of the minors right now, which is fine that, you know, it's not, not an insult to them, but it's just, you got to be patient with, with that. And that's why the farm system is going to take time to really produce results because their best guys are in a ball instead of triple A. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Matt, we uh, definitely appreciate the breakdown of the fills before we let you go. Who is representing the national league in the world series and who is representing the American league in the world series. Here we go. Um, I will go uh, Dodgers is, uh, you know what? No, I'm going to go Gabe Kapler and the Giants. Oh Ooh. boy. Okay. That's a fair pick. I mean, that's the Vegas favorite, I believe, right? It is the Vegas favorite. I'm not sure. I believe it would be though. I would imagine it would be. Okay. Um, I'm going to go Gabe and the Giants and they are going to win the world series. Oof. Wow. Um, wow. He's thinking about his American against league. whoever wins the uh, no against the Rays. I think I was going to say whoever wins the wild card game tonight, but I'm going to go against. They're going to beat the Rays in the World Series. Yeah, the Rays are just they're a quality baseball club, man. Okay, they really are. They are, and, and that was a great American League race to the finish. I mean, you had the Jays finishing one game back, yep. the, the Mariners finishing one game back. Um, very competitive uh, American League race. And do you like the whole play-in game system, or do you want the old school system back? I like this one. I'm, I feel like we're used to it by now. I think it's good. Um, okay, it's crazy to think about, like even before the wild card, what it was. I know, just straight to NLCS, ALCS. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and then even before the wild card playing game, like you just had, you know, one team won the wild card. Like, I, I like it now. I think it gives you an extra, um, you know, a, one an extra team can say they made the playoffs. But I would maybe like to see a best of three. Instead of a yeah. one-game playoff, for yeah, that wild card. I, I agree. Because after 162 games, you got a team like the Dodgers, for example. That settles yeah. my issue. Actually, a three-game series would settle all these games for a one-game thing. Just, I know. It, it, I know. It's very rinky-dink to me. But if you do a three-game series now. Yeah, I like it. More. I, I like that too. I like that too. Well, we'll see what it is, and Matt will uh, look forward to speaking to you before the 2022 season sets uh, sets sail. And hopefully next year, this time, we'll be talking about the Phillies. In Playoffs? The Play- <laughs> yeah, never know. Crazier things have happened. That's true. Well, the Eagles did win the Super Bowl. You're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank oh, you, man. guys. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Talk to you soon, man. Take care. Fet alumni. Now it's doom and gloom. They are who we thought they were. And we let him off the hook. Hello, you play to win the game. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? That's where I'm frustrated. That's where my whole frustration comes in. Come We're in. talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. We're talking about 
practice. I'm going to tell you why I'm mad. Doom and gloom, the return. It's back. Now, you'd, you'd probably figure that it returns during this stretch of Eagles losses that we'd be talking about the Eagles. You would think. No. No. The Phillies, they were eliminated from playoff contention after being swept by the Atlanta Braves. Absolutely horrendous. After the series, Bryce Harper apologized to the fans and said he felt like he let the city down. Well, Bryce, you didn't let us down. The Phillies organization let us down. They let you down, Bryce. The Phillies as a team and organization are wasting your time. Oof. A 309 average, 35 home runs, 84 ribby. Leads the league in OPS, leads the league in doubles, second in the league Oof. in walks. No, Bryce. When the bell rang, you delivered. Night after night after night, you delivered. This organization, however, has not delivered. John Middleton is wasting your time. The worst owner in Philadelphia sports. And when your basketball team has New York owners, that's really (laughs) saying something. The man is a fraud. Middleton, along with Matt Klintak, ruined this team. All the homegrown guys that were supposed to be the future. Scott Kingery, Alec Bohm, Mickey Moniak, Luke Williams, Roman Quinn, Adam Hazley. The list goes on and on. Give me a break. This organization is wasting your time. You've been worth every cent. Every cent. Every single penny. And it's a value deal now. Of your $330 million contract. It's a value deal now. You've had to not only be the best player on this team, you've had to handle being the face Of this disgraceful organization. An organization who has now missed the playoffs for a decade. Mm, Longest streak in the major leagues. With an owner who has no problem celebrating mediocrity. While we, the fans, are forced to accept it. Mm. Day in, day out, you performed at an elite level. This organization is wasting your time. So no, you didn't let us down. Not even close. Bryce Harper, you are the MVP, and this team doesn't deserve you. Wow. Well, I agree he's the MVP. I agree that the front office has let the team down and the city down. But, but, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, Tech. All they have to do is somehow bring in a competent bullpen. And you're in the playoffs. I don't know how they do it. We just talked to Matt Breen. It kind of was the prelude to this uh, doom and gloom segment. Fair. And it just feels like I don't know where they go from here. Well, where you go from here is try to either move some assets to bring in quality relievers and quality, maybe two quality starters or one quality starter at least. And obviously you're going to hope that a couple of these guys that underperformed can cannot underperform. Um, but with that said, unless you bring in at least average bullpen guys and one above average starter, you're not doing anything. It's a tall order, but this has been Doom and Gloom. Numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't Look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. Numbers, they don't lie. Well, Tech, it's the return of our classic Numbers Don't Lie segment, highlighting Bird's players on the next-gen stats list across multiple categories, while also highlighting some of the best from around the league. Now, even though I say that the numbers don't lie when it comes to a certain eagle, 
I just don't know, but continue. Well, not the first eagle I'm going to highlight. Okay. I'd like to start by acknowledging Quez Watkins, who through four weeks of NFL, NFL play presently sits at fourth overall on the list of fastest ball carriers. Okay. On his week two 91-yard bomb from Jalen Hurts, Quez hit 21.62 miles per hour. Oof. Number one on this list, Henry Ruggs, has a mark of 21.78 miles per hour, only .16 higher, which is like nothing. Right. Basically stride for stride. That catch by Ruggs was made on Monday night in the Raider loss to the Chargers, which was predicted on this show. And we'll get to that soon. I can't help myself, Tech. But that tech, that Quez Watkins play is also 13th on the longest playlist for the entire season and is 8th overall on the incredible yak list with 30 yards above expected yardage. Quez is simply a star in the making. Would you yeah, agree? I, I do agree with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. He, he has a, a nose for the ball and a nose for getting free after catching the ball. He's definitely a guy. Miles Sanders lands on the incredible yak list as well. Here we go. Over the whole season, though, his week one catch and run in Atlanta for 25 yards gained 23 yards above the expected yardage, and it landed at 18th on the season. Yeah. Not bad. I get it. On to our guy Jalen Hurts, who presently holds the fifth most improbable completion on the season overall. Nice. With his fourth quarter touchdown toss to Greg Ward in Dallas, even though it was essentially meaningless, it had just a 15.1% probability of completion. So a good play is a good play. A good play is a good play. Sam Darnold still tops that list with a 9.1% probability. He still lead the NFL in rushing touchdowns or quarter rushing. Didn't didn't look at that. He's probably top three still at least. Um, But his. Early as you tossed to DJ Moore earlier in the season, 9.1% probability is uh, number one. Wow. So that's all the Eagles on the next gen stats overall list. So here are the week four appearances. Jalen Hurts landed at 18th on the improbable completion list again with a late fourth quarter touchdown toss to Greg Ward. <laughs> Even though it didn't impact the game result, it had a 29% probability of being completed. And I'll tell you, Tech, you know, Jalen has made some great throws this season. He's presently ninth in the NFL in passing yards with 1,167, well ahead of Carson Wentz, for the record. <laughs> for the record. No other Eagles landed on any of the Week 4 lists, but here are some notables from around the league. Household name Brandon Zilstra, <laughs> wide receiver for Carolina, who we'll see this weekend, okay. landed at number one on wow. the incredible yak list with his 55-yard catch uh, from Sam Darnold. It gained 33 yards above the expected yardage. Zilstra is like their third or fourth wide receiver. He's not rostered even on Dynasty Fantasy Leagues. <laughs> wow. But with our secondary, you better believe they're going to take a shot to this kid this week. Uh-huh. They're going to. Yeah, I would. Absolutely. The most remarkable rush was unfortunately turned in by Zeke, who gained 42 yards over expected yardage on his 47-yard rush first. The Panthers? Maybe <laughs> the Eagles will try to run on Carolina Tech? Maybe. You, you would think. We'll see. Lastly, Tech, the fastest sack in the NFL this week was from Seattle's Jordan Brooks, who took down Niners quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo in just 1.9 seconds. Garoppolo's a statue back there. That's also the fastest sack across the NFL this entire season. Wow. Only entire sack, season? Only sack under two seconds this entire season. Oh, okay. And tech, numbers don't lie. It's time for Prem's Picks. These games are a blowout, a human lot. You can bet your children's unborn children on these games. Rams picks. Well, Tech, I got the spread pick and the money line pick mixed up, leaving me with a split this week, taking my overall mark to three and three. Okay. Because the Bucks didn't cover the seven, although they beat the Patriots. I had them have to cover the seven. And the Chargers did easily cover the four, winning by 14. I had predicted the Bucks would cover, and the Chargers simply straight up. So tough break. But the weather in New England really hindered that game's result. I think we all know that. Um, So, four weeks in the books, three and three mark. Here are week five's locks. Locks. Give me the Steelers to get onto the winning side this week (laughs) at home versus the Broncos. All right. They're a one-point home favorite, which is actually a Denver line. But Teddy Bridgewater got his bell rung last week. May not play this Sunday. If he does, he has to face a Steelers team that was embarrassed by a division rival in their last home tilt versus the Bengals and then promptly handed a loss by the Packers in Green Bay. But Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season as head coach. They play well at home overall under his leadership. I think it may be close, but the Steelers Steelers will rise up at home in front of a full, full crowd. And beat a good Broncos team. I think Ben will bounce back. 
The Broncos are a week three and one. I mean, their wins are over the Giants, Jags, and Jets. Yes. Losing their only game versus good competition, the Ravens. Exactly. Steelers minus one at Heinz Field. Lock. Lock. Next tech, I'll take the Raiders to bounce back at home off the Chargers loss and cover six points versus the Bears. Okay. Derek Carr had his first pedestrian game of the year, and they're trying to keep pace in the AFC West, which slowly is shaping into the most competitive division in football. Again. Yep. Again. <laughs> the Bears simply can't be trusted to beat anyone but Detroit, um, no. as we've seen. They have the last-ranked offense in football, and even though Justin Fields seems to be improving slightly, I think the Raiders will hold them under 13 points this week. Yep. The Raiders should win by a score of like 30-13 to 13 or something in that ballpark. Oh, so wow. take the six points at home in Vegas. Lock. Lock. To recap, we got the Steelers to get back on the winning side at home versus the Broncos as one-point favorites. Lock. And the Raiders to also get back on the winning side at home versus the Bears as six-point favorites. Lock. This has been Prem's NFL Picks. See you next week. Vet alumni.